Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting across the world from Hollywood Boulevard in California in the center of Silicon Beach, which is the third most important center for entrepreneurs, incubators, and accelerators on the planet. Now, over the last 12 months or so on this program, we've been strongly protesting the abysmally low percentage of women, not only in the boardrooms of tech companies, but also employed by those companies. You know, these are the companies that pretend that they're enlightened, Female employees make up between 27% at Microsoft and 43% at eBay of the workforce at major tech companies, with the percentage dropping much lower when it comes to actual tech jobs. Just 11, note, 11 of the 223 largest publicly traded companies in Silicon Valley have 30% women on the company's board or in its five most compensated jobs. And only three of those 11 were tech companies. So just 11 out of 223 have 30% women on the company's board or in its five top jobs. As I said many times, that is pathetic and it's getting, and it's unsustainable. Well, It's getting worse. The number of women in tech jobs is expected to hit a new low because fewer women are majoring in computer science. The percentage of women in the computing workforce is expected to fall to 22% from 24% in the next 10 years if current trends continue, and that's down from 37% just 10 years ago. And, you know, all this is happening at a time when there are hundreds of thousands more computing jobs available in the US and there are college graduates to fill them. So getting more women involved in these high-quality, high-paying jobs would go a long way to helping women's overall earnings. According to Accenture, women's cumulative earnings could increase by $299 billion if three times more women pursued political science careers. That would make an enormous difference. It would also help the US remain competitive with people like China and India. You know, we need to get girls involved in computing in junior high school and then keep them engaged through high school and college. And we need to invest in programs and curricula designed specifically for girls. Now, a few days ago, the Anita Borg Institute released its annual top companies for women technologists in the US, which finds that while 26.8% of entry-level workers at the 60 companies analysed are women, 26.8%, still less than a third, just 14% of executive roles are. That's one person in eight. That is really pathetic. The other thing we've spoken about, another thing we've spoken about a lot on this program is the Internet of Things. 
And uh, the Internet of Things, coupled with the absolute stupidity of some people when it comes to cybersecurity, is going to leave us extremely vulnerable to hackers. Rather than just try to get in through firewalls in your computer, they simply now hack in through your refrigerator or your toaster or cameras or a thermostat or your baby monitor or your kids' toys. There's a million ways in. And last Friday, a major cyber attack crippled a major internet firm, repeatedly disrupting the availability of popular websites across the United States. So hacker groups now have a secret weapon in the increasing array of internet-enabled household devices. They can hack into anything. They can wreak havoc. New Hampshire-based Dine Inc., said its server infrastructure was hit by a distributed denial of service or a DDoS attack. And that's when targeted machines are overwhelmed with junk data traffic. You know, it's a bit like knocking somebody over with a fire hose. And the attack blocked some access to popular websites across America and Europe, such as Twitter, Netflix and PayPal. Members of the New World Hackers claimed responsibility for the attack via Twitter and they said that they organised networks of connected devices to create a massive botnet that threw an almost inconceivable 1.2 trillion bits of data every second at Dyn's servers. 1.2 trillion bits per second. DDoS attacks have been growing in frequency and size in recent months, but previously the largest DDoS attack was just a couple of months ago, and that was just 250 billion bits per second. So now they're up in the trillions, so they're going to wreak a lot more havoc. And DDoS attacks have been used for years, but they've become very popular in recent months. And why? because of the proliferation of Internet of Things devices, which are easy targets for hackers. And the power of this kind of cyber attack is limited by the number of devices an attacker can connect to. That's all. The popularity of new Internet-connected gadgets has vastly increased the pool of devices that they can weaponize. The average American home now contains 13 Internet-connected devices. And the motivation between DDoS attacks is usually mischief, somebody wanting to be a pain in the ass, or a political statement that's pretty common, or maybe it's money. And DDoS attacks have also been used in extortion attempts. And of course, this has been made easier by the advent of Bitcoin. And the the New World hackers say that the next target will be the Russian government for committing alleged cyber attacks against the US earlier this year. Now, I'm all for that. The sooner the better. The long-term solution lies in vastly improving the security of all internet-connected devices. Now, the big problem with that, of course, is that these appliances usually are so cheap that the cost of securing them becomes just out of reach. So, I don't know where we go with that. Now, another subject that we've talked about regularly is the decline of legacy companies, and and we've also discussed many times the fact that banks are going to be next. The days of theft, theft 
deception and taking advantage of consumers is over. The two major causes of the decline in banks are the internet, the effect of which is now really starting to bite, and soon blockchain, which hopefully should just about finish them off. Banks are dinosaurs and they don't know they're not they don't know they're dead yet. They still think they're alive. They still think they've got a whole bunch of things happening. America's biggest banks are closing hundreds of branches. Bank of America, Citigroup and JP Morgan have shut 389 branches just this year. Bank of America went from 6,000 branches to 4,500. And as well as that, they've cut 112 financial centres just since last year. And Bank of America went from 7 million branch visits four years ago to about 5 million today. And the cuts aren't just in terms of bank branches, but also in headcount. Bank of America plans to cut over 8,000 jobs just from its consumer banking division. Citigroup's branch count has shrunk 7% in North America, and they're down 116 banks globally. So studies have shown that um, banks are quickly approaching their automation tipping point, and they can soon reduce headcount by as much as 30%. JP Morgan has 161 less branches than just, I think, about 12 months ago. Now, millennial customers now comprise 57% of new checking account customers, and they're much more likely to use mobile banking and not necessarily with the big banks. And you no longer need brick-and-mortar branch networks to get into consumer financial services. So the traditional distribution strengths of the large banks are now just legacy costs. So that's very interesting. I think banks have had it, and the sooner the better. There's a bit of fun. I thought that you might like to know who the most active celebrity startup investors are. When we think of investors in startups, we think of um, venture capitalists, corporations, High net, work into, high net worth individuals, angel investors, um, and they're pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into startups looking for that next Facebook or billion-dollar business. Well, many of these individuals are famous, and the list of the most active celebrity investors was published last Wednesday. Approximately half of the individuals on the list Hail from the music industry, while others have made a name for themselves in TV and movies and sports and fashion. And those on the list have backed some big names, including the likes of Spotify, Airbnb, Box and Lyft. Probably not surprising. Snoop Dogg has put money into cannabis startups, Funk Sack and Ease, why am I not surprised with that? And Iron Man star Robert Downey Jr. has put money into subscription box service Loot Crate and Masterclass, which is a site that offers interactive video courses that are taught by big names. Justin Bieber has also invested a lot of money into music streaming service Spotify and the selfie app 
shots. Ryan Seacrest, who's a huge US radio personality, he's a television host, a producer. He's backed Mindfulness App, Headspace, and the social sharing platform Stamped. While movie star Will Smith has invested in mental health startup BioBeats and men's clothing company Vastrum. Rapper Jay Z, married of course to Beyonce, has backed private jet startup Jet Smarter while he owns the music streaming act Tidal. Leonardo DiCaprio has invested in sleep startup Casper as well as mobile phone company Solaran. Timberlake's put some of his minions into the likes of social media platform MySpace and San Francisco startup Stipple, which has got a platform that lets users tag people, places and objects in an image. So about Jared Leto, actor, singer, songwriter and director, I think an Academy Award winner, has backed electronic signature service DocuSign and mindfulness app Headspace. But by far and away, the most active celebrity investor is Aston Kutcher, who's backed startups like Airbnb, Bebo and Box. He is way, way ahead of anybody else. Now, if you enjoy this radio show each week, you should become a member of the Bob Pritchard Premium Club. If you're not a member, then go to my website, bobpritchard.com and join today. And uh, as a member, you'll get a terrific range of benefits and you'll also earn loyalty points for all sorts of great rewards. And if you join now... You'll also receive one month's bonus membership and the program is 100% guaranteed. What have you got to lose? Now, as you probably know, if you listen to this program, I uh, send out a daily newsletter every single day and it goes out to 81,000 business executives in over 60 countries every day. And the great thing about it is you can read it in 60 seconds and it's very varied. It could be about new development in brain surgery. It could be a new app. It could be a, a an employment issue. It could be it could be a ho- anything, anything in the in, in the spectrum of whatever somebody can develop or to do with marketing, um, customer service, or just business in general. But it'll take you thirty seconds to read it. And it's information that every entrepreneur or business executive needs to keep up to date on. So um, you can subscribe to newsletters simply go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and just fill in just your name, your email address, and bingo, bango, you're done. Now, my guest today is Jason Forrest. He's a, he's a really good guy, this guy. And he's the CEO and head sales coach at Forest Performance Group. He's been awarded Training Magazine's Top Young Trainer and a Gold Stevie Award for Sales Training Leader of the Year. He's also been awarded the Top Sales Management Program in the World. 
I, I love success. And, you know, it's really bloody hard to be the best person at anything on your block. And it's even harder to be the best person in your city. And it's almost impossible to be the most successful person in your country. Well, Jason Forrest, the top sales management program on the planet against humongous competition. Now, he incorporates experiential learning to increase profit, to implement cultural accountability and transform companies into high-performance organisation. And I'll be back with Jason immediately after this short break on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Well, over the last five plus years, we've uh, given you the insights into the lives of over 320 or so of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked about what they do. We've talked about the challenges that they've overcome, what's made them successful, what they've achieved, and we try to work out what makes them tick. And the reason we do this is because it's an ext- it's extremely difficult to create a successful business from scratch. You know, the failure rate among startups is somewhere between 95 and 99%, so it obviously isn't easy. All those people are smart. Most of them have got great ideas, but there's a whole bunch more goes into being successful than just a great idea. So it's important to listen to these interviews and also to buy books so that we can get some advice and assistance from entrepreneurs that have gone before us and achieved success. There's absolutely no point in repeating somebody else's mistakes. So the aim of this segment is to give you information and hopefully clues on how to become highly successful. Now, Jason Forrest is the CEO and head sales coach at Forrest Performance Group, which fortunately they abbreviated to FPG. (laughs) When I first heard, heard about this, I tried to 
um, put it into Google and uh, I made about five spelling mistakes on the way through. Um, Jason's a thought leader and a behavioural change expert and he's on a mission to convince everyone he knows that they're enough. He's a sales trainer, a management coach and the author of three books, including his latest book, which is called Leadership Sales Coaching. Now, Jason is chairman of the National Speakers Association Million Dollar Speakers Group. He's been awarded Training Magazine's Top Young Trainer and a Golden Stevie Award for Sales Training Leader of the Year. So he obviously knows what he's talking about. He's good at this stuff. He's also been awarded the top sales management program in the world. And when you consider how many sales trainers that are out there, that's one hell of an achievement. And he's an expert at creating high-performance cultures through complete training programs. He incorporates experiential learning to increase profit, implement cultural accountability, and transform companies into high-performance organizations by unleashing human performance. As you know, we all only use a fraction of our abilities, and uh, one of the reasons that we don't use all of our abilities is because we don't know how to. So we're going to talk about all this. Jason, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, and you're being heard live around the world. Awesome. Thanks, Bob. Uh, Glad to be here. You say your programs are designed to unleash the human performance in sales, management, custom service, and company culture. What does it mean to unleash human performance? That's great. A great question. So so I've I've been um, in the training world now for over 12 years. I had a couple years as the head of of, um, the training department for a big Fortune 500 company. And what I realized is that that, uh, most people say that they are uh, trainers, uh, but they're nothing more than kind of one-day event specialists. We call them, they, they love you and leave you. They come in and they what they do is they sell you on your potential. So they say, hey, here's some things that you could do, and if you did these things, you would achieve more. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're actually going to do them. So there's a very sure. d- big difference between potential and performance. Um, so potential is knowing that you're capable of more. Performance is actually doing what you now know. Right. And so what we did is, we created this, uh, I created this and trademarked this formula, very simple, uh, everyone can write it down, and that is performance equals knowledge minus leashes. Uh, leashes, and this thing goes, think of unleashed, so leash right. is like a dog leash. Right. And, and uh, so performance is what a person does. Uh, knowledge is the process pattern and strategy of what they're told to do. Right. Uh, so you think of it as a, a leader, you know, a leader is told to set standards of performance, set proper expectations for their team and their people. So that's the knowledge. Uh, but the question is, why is it that some uh, leaders will immediately do those things that they know and other leaders don't freaking do it? Well, yeah. the reason is because they've got leashes. They've got, and leashes are rules, alibis, excuses, um, scotomas, which are blind spots, um, outdated paradigms, um, all these kind of things that say, well, yeah, I'll get to that when blank, or um, the reason why I don't do that is blank. And so certain people have leashes and certain people don't, which is why um, certain people are performing more than others, even though they've gone to the same seminar, they've heard the same podcast by you. Uh, they know these things, uh, but they just don't do them. And so what we do is we specialize specifically on giving people the most tactical, relevant knowledge, because a lot of the a lot of the um, uh, knowledge out there, there's actually over 800,000 new books that are created every year in just the U.S. alone. Right. Well, a lot of the knowledge actually creates more leashes. 
uh, a lot of the a lot of the ideas out there that people tell people to do actually hurt people more than actually help people. So one, we want to make sure that we teach knowledge that is leash free, <laughs> and yeah. number two is we want to remove those leashes. Um, by removing the fear, the alibis, the excuses that keep people from doing those things. So uh, our training approach is very different in the sense that we give them the knowledge and we remove the leashes. And we do that uh, with all of our clients on a uh, weekly, month- monthly basis. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. I, as you know, I do a hell of a lot of speeches. And uh, you go in and you razz people up for an hour, an hour and a half. And then you walk out and get on a plane home and very few, like maybe one in a hundred actually go back to their office and do anything about it. No matter how simple the advice is, it's easier just to slip into the same old familiar pattern, isn't it? That's, that's correct. Yeah. And so what we're, so what we do is we're actually a great partner for a lot of speakers. We actually do partner with um, a lot of different uh, coaches that are out there that do the one day events. Like for example, Chip Bell, yep. uh, we partnered with him to create a program called Service Unleashed. He's written 25 books. He does 90 keynotes a year on the customer experience, but he didn't have a program that actually held people accountable on a weekly, monthly basis to actually implement what they know. And so uh, we have our own programs that we do, that we write and I write, um, that, um, that, that, that uses our intellectual property. But then we also partner with other thought leaders like Chip Bell uh, to, do, to do exactly that. I gave a presentation a couple of days ago um, in Indianapolis about um, customer service in an age of disruption. And it's, it's really challenging. How, do you address, well, I guess every business, it doesn't matter what it is, um, is going through disruption, some minor disruption and some are cataclysmic upheaval. Um, does, does your um, course um, prepare people for a total change in the way they need to approach and, and implement their business? 100%. That, that would be, and we do that really in all levels. We do that on the, the individual employee level as it relates to sales or service. We do that on the middle management level as it relates to turning managers into high-performance coaches. Right. And we do that on the executive level as it relates to creating uh, the, what we call unleavable culture. So best places to work that really drive profit through people because most uh, most organizations only get about 40% productivity out of a given work week. So they're paying them for the entire work week, but they're only getting about 40% out. So one of the things that we really push is the number one profit leak in your organization is actually through your, your people's productivity. And so uh, we really track that and we go in there and we actually improve that. Uh, but yes, as far as that disruption, it all starts with uh, changing the way you look at things. That's actually our main quote down our main hallway in our office, uh, right. FPG is when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And so we're really big on every time we work with anyone, uh, we're giving them the new behaviors uh, that will make them more uh, productive and profitable. But we also give them the new motivation plus, which is the why. We give them the new emotional state, uh, which is the feeling to do it. And then we give them the belief, which is changing the thinking around it. And then we give them the right conditions and programming, which is the support system to to create that behavioral change, which is why we've won now three awards, international awards in behavioral change, because we, we take that um, – you know, that behavioral motivation, uh, emotional state, belief, programming type of approach to changing behavior. So what's the difference between a coach and a manager? And, and why is that um, significant in the sales industry? 
Well, it's very significant. So what, what had happened is, um, is I was a you know, top sales professional and then got promoted to a sales manager like, you know, like so many of us do. And uh, I didn't really know what I was supposed to do out there. I, I, I would go out there and I'd say, hey, how can I help you? And the salesperson would say, hey, you could uh, you know, give us better incentives. You could lower our prices. You give us better traffic and marketing. And so I would go do that. And so I ended up realizing that I was kind of an overpaid admin. You know? <laughs> and uh, and that's, really what, that's really what a manager is in a lot of cases. If, they're, if, a manager's, if, if all a manager does is try to find ways to make their salespeople or their employees' lives easier by making their circumstances easier, uh, then they're just managing them or they're really entitling them. Yeah, becoming uh, a they, facilitator, aren't you? You're facilitating their bad habits. I mean, it was interesting that, um, you know, most salespeople you speak to, you say to them, how would you, what do I need to do so that you can increase sales? And the first thing they say is reduce the prices. And price, actually, when you look at all the research, has absolutely nothing to do with getting a sale. Um, well, not true in every case, but in 99% of cases, the pr- Price isn't the reason you don't get the sale. That's that's correct. So a coach is very different. So where a manager says, let me make your circumstances easier so that you can win, a coach says, let me make you better uh, in the given circumstances so that you can overcome those circumstances. And what I did is I read, gosh, hundreds of books on sales management, and none of them to me, hit it right. And I, and I came from Texas football. I was, you know, an all-state football player growing up. And, and I started asking myself, well, gosh, what if, what if Nick Saban, you know, the, yep. the head coach of Alabama or Pete Carroll of Seattle Seahawks or John Wooden or what if, or Coach K, what if these amazing coaches, what if they were in charge? What if they ran a sales team? And what if we started looking at salespeople, not as employees, but we looked at them as athletes, sales athletes, then how would we do it differently? So if Nick Saban was in charge, uh, he would not be focused on making their lives easier. He would be focused on making them better. Right. And so like in that, in that same instance with the price thing, you know, so what we would do is we, or what we do every day is we teach the managers, okay, well, a salesperson, you say, so, well, what's causing you from not selling another blank this month, you know, another product, another sure. service of this month. And they, they'll say immediately, well, you know, the price or the circumstance, the situation, or the customer wants to think about it, or the customer has to bring a, another absentee buyer, another decision maker back in, whatever it is. Yeah. And then we say, what we teach them, and I, I created an eight, an eight step process of, of, um, of coaching, eight objectives of coaching. And uh, what we would do is say, okay, well, well, suppose I'm able to show you how to convince that prospect to buy regardless of the price. So what if I was able to show you how to get them to buy with the price you are charging, then would that be beneficial to you? And they say, well, yeah, I guess so. Okay, well, let's talk through the process pattern strategy. Let's talk through what we need to do in order to get them to buy at the current price. And let's just remove the idea that we can lower the price. And so what we do is we actually teach coaches uh, exactly how to handle those situations and exactly what to do. And then we hold those coaches accountable um, on what to say and how to say it. And our track record is huge. We have over 35 uh, clients um, across the world uh, right now in the full-fledged program. We've got a lot of clients that are in smaller versions of the program, but the full-fledged program. And uh, in 10 different industries, all the way from uh, the number two car dealership in the U.S. and the seven largest furniture store, the number one, uh, the largest 
commercial engineering company, banks, home builders, real estate organizations. And in the first six months this year, all of them either met or exceeded their sales goals. Wow. Uh, but it's, it, it's all just because of coaching. It's all because of if Nick Saban or Pete Carroll were in charge, how would they do things differently? And that's our number one frame of reference. What would they say? What would they do? How would they hold them accountable? And so that's, that's the program that won the, the best uh, sales coaching program uh, in the world out of um, 40, 47, 47 countries, I believe. Fantastic. Now, your book, um, Leadership Sales Coaching, you share 75 principles. <laughs> did, you, did you start off with a, thinking, I'm going to come up with 75 principles, or did you just keep going until you run out? That's really, yeah. So, so everything that we, that's great you say that. So everything that we teach here at FPG, um, I, I feel test first. So what I mean is I don't sit back and say, hey, what are the, what, what would work? Uh, instead, I work with my clients and I'm actually saying, hey, here's what I want you to practice this week. So we actually take our clients a lot because we call them the, our clients and my own company are, are human guinea pigs. You know, they, right. they uh, trust us a lot to try things. And really what I did is, is throughout, you know, several years, of trial and error of what were the most important principles. Um, you know, it, 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 um, by the time I wrote the book, it, it came to, okay, here's, here's the 75 and we had much, we had many more than that, but here's the 75 that uh, we thought were most important to transform from that manager to a coach. That's incredible. Having written five books myself, it's, it, it's a big job writing a book and I, I can't imagine what it's like to come up and explain 75 principles. Um, can you share five of those principles and, and then tell us which of the 75 principles is the most important? I mean, that's a big ask, I know, but just can you share five of them with us and then pick out the most important one? Is that possible? Uh, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, yeah, they're great. They're, they're all individually important, of course, but um, I mean, why don't we just kind of, yeah, wrap through a few of them. So, I mean, definitely one uh, would be be on offense. And so when I say be on offense, one of the mistakes that a lot of managers make is that they're, they're counting sales versus creating sales. So the only time they know of a sale happening is when the sale actually happens. When it's, right. it's, and I call it, that's a history lesson. Like you're, you're kind of behind the eight ball. So that would be like, um, for example, a, a coach of a football team or a sports team not actually knowing the score until, you know, until the game was over. You know, it's, right. <laughs> they've got to be in the game and trying to make the score happen. And so uh, what we teach is be on offense. And being on offense just means that you got to be in the trenches and your job is to be talking about the prospects and, 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 and helping guide the salesperson to create those sales uh, before, uh, before they actually, um, they, they actually happen. So that's, right. that would be a, a very, very important one. It seems obvious, but that's a very important one. Uh, this, another one would be, um, besides being on offense, I would say would be, you know, have a, a manifesto. And so one of the things that we say is declare who you are. So again, a kind of foundational concept, but declare who you are means, uh, think of it as in the scene of Jerry Maguire. If you remember Jerry Maguire. Yeah, the I remember scene, it well. You know, he, yeah, he creates this manifesto, this new way of doing business. And Bill Walsh, the, the legendary coach of yep. the 49ers, said his manifesto, his way of doing business, his way of leading the football team to win, to win the game was his most important thing. It was his blueprint for success. 
And so a manifesto is just, what kind of leader do you want to be? What do you want people to say about you? Uh, what are your non-negotiables? How do you want to be held accountable as that coach? Uh, who are great coaches that you study? What are you going to learn from them? What are you going to take as your way of being a leader? So being that, having that manifesto is huge because it sounds, again, like an obvious, but think about how many leaders right now um, just signed up for the job. They've got the title yeah. of a leader, yeah. uh, but they don't, they don't, they're not forward thinking on, hey, let's just take a second to say, what do I want to do? Like, what exactly is my philosophy on leadership and, 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 and what do I want to be known for? So just taking that time, it doesn't take long, but I mean, and something could be always, obviously constantly adjusted and worked on, but just taking that, that, um, that time to really do that. Is um, is critical. Would you agree with that? I would absolutely. Most it seems to me that most sales managers are um, reactive, not pre, not proactive. They um, they you're right. They sit back and they wait until the results aren't their people aren't performing, and then they start yelling and screaming. That's correct. That's correct. So, uh, so I would say a, a third one um, that I think is very foundational important is have what's called standards of performance. And so the standards of performance are the it's, – it's, so think of a manifesto is really for you. Yep. Uh, standards are for your people. Right. Uh, so it's, it's now here's the kind of leader I'm going to be for you, but here is the specific way of doing business that I need you to do. Here's what's most important. And the reason why standards are so important is because – because what we need, what we tell people is, as long as you are focusing on the standards, we believe the score is going to take care of itself. But okay. if you don't get the score, the first thing you need to look at is, did I operate off the standards? And if the answer is no, well, you know the answer. If the answer is yes, but I didn't get the score, then maybe the standards aren't high enough. But the first thing we got to do is create the standards, and the number two is operate on the standards, teach them, uh, hold them accountable, um, track them, measure them. And then again, if, they, if, they, if, if, if they're not working, then we raise them. But most of the time, they're usually working. Okay. Cool. So that's number three. And then, uh, so that, that kind of gives a good um, kind of overview as far as the, the idea of being a leader. But then I would say the next one is uh, they really need to revere sales. And so, so what's important about that is that it's amazing how many um, – sales managers, they, they really don't like sales. You know, they, they like, they might like the result of sales, uh, yeah. but they don't revere the gladiator like element of the science and the art. You know, if you think of uh, like coach Garrido, um, Augie Garrido, he's the uh, uh, winningest baseball coach in college history out of university of Texas. And I mean, he, he talks constantly about, Hey guys, we get to play football. I mean, we get, we, sorry, we get to play baseball. You know, we get to, this is awesome. We get to play baseball and let's, let's focus on this awesome game that we get to play. And so he reveres baseball and he gets his players to revere baseball. But to me, that's important. You know, it's, it's, we get to revere the leader. We got to revere the science, and the art of selling, because selling to me is the toughest of the performance arts because every day uh, you go out there and you work for free. Yeah. And if you perform, you get paid. If you do not, you do not get paid. Yeah. Well, we've got to, we've got to revere the concept of that and realize that it's very different. And I believe the more we can revere that, the more than our people are going to revere that, which means they're going to play and perform at a higher level. You need passion. Without passion, if you don't wake up in the morning and want to, you know, I, I, I often say to people when I'm speaking, I wake up in the morning and what I want to do today is sell some bastard something. That's, That's it. what I want to do. That's my 
goal in life. Um, it's pretty narrow, I guess. But, um, you know, you've, you've got to really love it. Okay, I think we're up That's to number it. five. That's it. Perfect. So I would say the last one, um, if we were to you know, pick one, and that is to, to you, you really got to know uh, the why behind uh, why people are doing what they're doing. So in order to truly change behavior as a coach, they can't focus on the what-based level. They have to focus on the, the why. They have to focus on the belief level. So, uh, for example, if you've got a sales professional who is not taking the lead of a customer, or let's say they're not asking a person to buy, right. well, you know, you, 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 uh, if you, the salesperson says, well, I don't want to come across too pushy. Well, let's talk through that. Yeah. You know, what, what's driving that? What's, what's driving that philosophy? And what you'll end up figuring out is that you know, they're afraid of losing the sale or they're afraid of uh, looking dumb or they're afraid of that rejection. And so a coach has to really get inside to the why, the belief level, and they have to really grow a person or change a person from the inside out. And if they can do that, then from the outside in, then they can really change that behavior. And so a big element that we teach that's very different than anyone else is we focus, we teach those coaches how to remove those leashes, uh, which is really the key. So it's, you, you've got to get inside that and figure out what, what's really driving them and what's, remo- what's keeping them from doing the behaviors you want them to do. So I was, just, until you got to number five, I was just about to say that um, it was interesting that up until then you hadn't mentioned um, motivating salespeople because, you know, the good thing about salespeople is that there's a great exhilaration when somebody says yes and signs the piece of paper, but there's a lot more disappointment when people say no, 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 and eventually you start getting into this negative mindset where you, you, you're afraid to ask for the order because you're afraid of another rejection. Um, is that common with salespeople or is that just my sort of perception of it? No, no. I, well, I, would, I would assume that's, that's common for the human race um, and, and uh, salespeople are just a part of that human race and, and they're just, the difference with salespeople is that they're paid according to, our abil- to their ability to be emotionally tough. Yeah. To, to overcome that fear of rejection. Uh, no other uh, part of the human race is paid for that ability, right? So um, it's just everyone has a fear of rejection, or, or I would assume most people do to some certain level, certain degrees. Um, it's just, again, salespeople are paid specifically for that. And so, uh, so what we have to do is get salespeople to see that differently. Um, and, and that's not hard to do if, you, if, if it just takes um, the right coach to to get in there and help them see the why behind it. You know, here's, here's why you're asking a person to purchase. Here's what it's going to do for them. Here's how it's going to benefit them. You know, if you don't ask them to purchase, then what's going to happen? Well, they're never going to come back and they're going to buy from an alternative or they're not going to improve their life. And so, you know, you've got to overcome your fear of rejection for the betterment of the customer. And if you can do that, you can improve their life. And if you don't do that, then you're not going to improve their life. And so it's about, it's just about, about psychologically helping um, you know, people overcome those leashes that, that they have. You talk about the X Factor revolution. Now, I presume that's got nothing to do with a television show and people standing in the f- middle of a room singing. Um, what is the X Factor revolution and how could it affect a company? Uh, sure, yeah. So the X Factor revolution is just this concept of, of how do we uh, create 
an organization that focuses on the X factor in every salesperson and the X factor sale versus what I call the market sale. So for example, a market sale is a sale that, uh, that happens regardless if the, if the customer, uh, um, uh, regardless if the salesperson did anything or not. So it was the right price, the right packaging, the right timing, the right promotion, versus an X-Factor sale is a sale that's got conflict, it's got compromise, it challenged the customer's perspective, it did it in a collaborative way. And so, so what we really push in our organizations is stop celebrating the sale, stop celebrating the result, but instead start, start celebrating the X-Factor, the, the, you know, the, the how they got the sale, the war story behind it. Because if you can celebrate the cause and effect, then you can get more results. If you just celebrate the effect, then you're not going to get the results because there's several different ways to get a sale. You lower the price, you get more traffic, you, you, know, there's, you, you make, it, make the circumstances easier, you add more features. But that's not an X-Factor sale, that's a market sale. And right. so in order to create profitability, you've got to change what you reward and what you recognize in organizations, which is that X-Factor sale versus the market sale. I, um, I've spent a lot of time around the entertainment industry, and uh, when you talk to the big managers, um, guys that have managed you know, a whole bunch of superstars, they say that when they see a talent, irrespective of how polished they are, they can look at them and say, wow, that person has got it. That person's going to be a star. They might need a bit of work, but they haven't. That, that, but they're a star. And other people they see who might be fantastic just don't have that X factor, if you like. So a salesman born or a salesman a result of Training. I mean, you sort of meet people and say, wow, this guy is a natural born superstar salesman. Or can anybody be that superstar salesman if they're trained well enough? Perfect, yeah. So I, so I actually take a really weird approach on this. What I say is all human beings are born to sell. It's not just in some of us, it's in all of us. And what I mean by that is, you know, I ask a person, they say, well, my, there's no way my daughter can sell. You know, she's introverted when she goes to a, a, you know, she's 33 years old. When she goes to a party, she, she clams up and hides in the corner. And I said, well, okay, well, at what age did she convince you to stay up late? At what age did she convince you to buy, buy her candy or buy her something that she didn't want? Oh, well, as soon as she could start talking. Okay. So she knows how to sell. It's it's a it's a survival skill, like breathing. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just she's been told she can't do it. She's been leashed sometime between the age of five to the age of thirty-two. Right. And so what I got to do is unleash her if she wants to. Now, if she doesn't want to, that's different. But if a person has the desire to do it, uh, my whole point is everyone actually is selling constantly, and everyone is born to sell. Uh, some people have just been given permission to do it and where the most of us, uh, most of us or, or most of the human race has told them, said not to do it because it's not the right thing or it's not noble or it's a lower class thing to do. Um, and, but that's, I mean, one of my mission statements is to bring back the pride, purpose and respect professional selling. Right. I agree. You know, everything starts with a sale. I mean, we look at all these big companies and all of those people would be unemployed if some bastard wasn't out there selling somebody something. You know, so it all comes down to the salesperson. Now, <coughs> excuse me, having a fear of conflict can actually hurt a team more than help it. Um, why is that true? Um, so, I'm sorry, having a fear of what? Conflict. 
Oh, atmospheric conflict. Sorry, I missed that last word. Uh, well, you know, I think that one of the biggest mistakes that leaders have and really salespeople is they're afraid of conflict. So what that means is they choose to be nice or they want to be liked versus respected. And the problem is, is without conflict, there is no change. You know, the, my definition of a leadership sales coach is to lead our people to do the things they don't want to do uh, so they can earn what they want to earn. That's why people sign up for sales. Sure. Uh, well, the reason why they don't want to do it is because they're afraid. They don't know why. They don't know how. Well, that requires a little bit of conflict. That requires you as a leader to get in there and give them a different way of seeing things to tell them, hey, you're not doing it the right way. Let's talk about how to do it a better way or a more productive way. You know, let's talk through what your concerns are. Let's talk through what your alibis are. And so all of that um, is, is going to require a person to overcome their, their conflict. Um, and if they can't do that, then they're just not going to make it because they're not going to change the performance of their people. We are extremely short of time, and I'm going to ask you a, <laughs> a big question. Um, what can managers do to create a positive support system for their employees? What can they do? Being quick about it, what can, <laughs> what can they do? Yeah, to- yeah, yeah, I think the, the most important thing is, one, uh, decide right now that you want to be a leader that people want to follow. That's it. So number one, decide you want to be a leader people want to follow. Number two is focus more on what people are doing right versus what they're doing wrong. Right. Uh, what I mean by that is once you've decided that, once you've created that vision, mission, strategy, your standards of performance, you know, the point is start focusing on that. You know, walk in every day and see how your people are doing what they're supposed to be doing versus what they're not supposed to be doing. Well, the reason why people focus on what they're not supposed to be doing is because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And so, you know, if you start rewarding that, that's huge. I mean, one of the things we do in our organization is every Friday we have a I'm freaking awesome happy hour where everyone goes around and says, I'm freaking awesome because I did this that caused this and the effect of that is blank. And we celebrate the cause and effect. We celebrate that, which is what will create, you know, that high performance, high profitable organization. I love that idea. Jason, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, to learn more about Forest Performance Group, this is the good bit, go to fpg.com. So don't go and type in that Forest Performance Group. Just go to fpg.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network right after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. To the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. This week broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles where technology meets entertainment. Beautiful view today right across the west of Los Angeles looking right across Silicon Beach where there's literally thousands of startups out there applying their talents and uh, hundreds and thousands of VCs and angels hanging around waiting to fund them. 
Now, the rapid change in technology, the decline in legacy companies and the accelerating rate of disruption has meant a, a just staggering change in the skill sets required to be successful in the future. When I was about to go to college, science was the big go, so every kid went and did science. And uh, I remember we, we had class after class after class after class of people doing science. Well, all that's changed. And uh, to determine what employers are looking for and what it takes to successfully land a job, LinkedIn looked at billions of data points and analysed all of the hiring and recruiting activity that occurred on its site so far this year to identify the most sought-after skills. They're the perfect people to do it, aren't they? I mean, they have got listings up the wazoo. I hate to think how many tens of millions of listings. So ultimately, they uncovered the top 10 skills that can get you hired in 2017 in 14 different countries. And, you know, some skills come and go and expire every few years. LinkedIn data strongly suggests that tech skills will still be needed for many, many, many years to come and across every industry. So now is a great time for professionals to acquire the skills they need to be more marketable. So here are the hottest, most in-demand skills around the globe. Number one, cloud and distributed computing. So if you're out there learning cloud and distributed computing, you are set. Number two, statistical analysis and data mining. I think that's a big one. I think that might even get to be pretty close to number one, but doesn't say what the difference between those two is. But statistical analysis and data mining, I think, is going to be a phenomenal career. Number three, web architecture and development framework. Number four, middleware and integration software. Number five, user interface design. That sounds pretty cool too. I think that might be cool. Network and information security. Mobile development. Data presentation. SEO and SEM marketing is number nine. And number 10 is storage systems and management. So they're the most in-demand skills. But there are several trends about the global job market that we need to think about. And number one is the demand for marketers is lessening. So while marketing skills were high in demand in 2015, things have changed. This year, SEO and SEM dropped five spots from number four to number nine. And marketing campaign management dropped completely off the list. It disappeared. So demand for marketing skills is slowing because the supply of people with marketing skills has caught up with employers' demand for people with marketing skills. They've been pouring out of colleges like crazy. The second trend that became obvious was data and cloud reign supreme. 
cloud and distributed computed has remained in the number one spot for the past two years, followed very closely on its heels is statistical analysis and data mining, which was number two also last year. Now, these skills are in such high demand because they're at the cutting edge of technology. Employers need employees with cloud and distributed computing, statistical analysis and data mining skills if they ever want to stay competitive. And the third trend is that user interface design is what's hot now. Now, that came in at number five, but user interface design, which is designing the part of the products that people interact with, is increasingly in demand among employers. Data has become central to many products, which has created the need for people to use interface designing skills and make those products easy for customers to use. So if you're looking and wondering what to do with your life and don't yet have a direction, you should explore learning one or more of these 10 skills. Do you remember your first job interview? How boring and scaring was that? Well, Raze is a pretty unique $1.5 billion cult tech company, which makes hardware and software, and they pride themselves on being by gamers for gamers. Raze is one of the coolest tech companies in the world. No boring interviews for them. They have you play video games in their job interviews. So that's fun. So anybody who considers themselves a serious gamer, of course, has heard of Razer because the equipment it provides pretty much blows competing products out of the water. For example, it just launched a laptop so powerful it can feasibly replace a high-spec desktop. They're really the apple of the gaming world. Now, Razer's CEO... Minliang Tan, the group, says the group's products are only able to be so powerful because of the talent they employ. They look for people that are the very best in their field of work, whether designers, engineers, thermal engineers, or whatever they, skills they're looking for. But most of all, they look for passion and passion in gaming. Part of the interview process involves not only quizzing candidates about their favourite games, but making them play a game there and then to prove that they're as passionate as they say they are. And they're growing like Topsy. They just bought um, um, iconic audio company THX, which, of course, was founded by Star Wars creator George Lucas. So gaming and Razor, really the business of the future. I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com and enroll for my daily newsletter. It takes just 30 seconds to read and it's information that keeps you up to date with everything that's going on. Business news, it's important, gives you something to talk about over lunch. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you are taking up way too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Next week, I'll be in Sydney, Australia visiting a couple of clients and I hope you can join me again. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.